If you open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, please. Ruth Tober part 3. Looking forward to Ruth Tober Fest next week. We celebrate together the Lord's kindness and in uh, remembering the Reformation specifically, remembering his faithfulness to his people. And um, that's going to be so evident when we get to chapter 4. I mean, tonight too, tonight too, but especially when we get to chapter 4. If you've been reading ahead, you know what I'm talking about. Um, well, as we look at narrative again, look at Hebrew narrative, look at uh, story in the scriptures, we recognize that uh, the author is crafting a story with a particular purpose in mind. Okay, It's not just a history book where we look at a series of events and figure out how we can learn from the events that happened, but we say, no, the author is actually trying to make theological points with the way that he's crafting this history story, okay? So we'll look for things like repetition. We'll look for things like words that seem to be unneeded, especially in Hebrew narrative when space is hard to come by. Writing space is hard to come by. Uh, We look for speech as well. Speech is going to give us insight into the character's character. And it's going to draw us in, draw our attention to a particular place. So we have this story, this masterfully written story, um, a story that is about um, a difficult time in the history of Israel, the time of the judges. And it's a story of tragedy, bitterness, Loyalty, sovereignty, relief, romance, redemption, rescue, and royalty. Well, chapter three, we get into some fun things. I think a couple of times I've said this is the awkward chapter. We're gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be, um, you know, a little bit different than the other chapters, but also some significant similarities. So let's get a running start into chapter 3. This story is about a man named Elimelech. Elimelech is a, a man, his name means, my God is king. The story starts out about this man. This man is married to a woman named Naomi. Naomi, um, and they move from the land because there's a famine, and they move into Moab. Now, they have children together, Mahon and Chilion, and they, uh, a short time after, Elimelech dies. And then the two sons marry Moabite women by the name of Ruth and Orpah. Then Naomi's sons die. Naomi goes back to Bethlehem, where she came from, where there's food now. And Naomi is bitter when she goes back. She actually would prefer to be called Mara, which means bitter, rather than Naomi, which means pleasant one. And Ruth and Orpah are saying, look, we're coming back with you. We want to stay with you, Naomi. And Naomi insists, you guys need to return back to your people, your land. Go back. You just lost your husbands. Go back, find a husband. But, uh, so Orpah uh, returns to her own land and people, and Ruth ins- insists on returning 
with Naomi. She shows this intense covenant kindness to Naomi. Then Ruth suggests in chapter 2 that she should go get some grain from a field, and she just so happens to come to the field of Boaz, one of Naomi's relatives. Boaz interacts with her, and he, is, he has already heard of the kindness that she has shown to Naomi. Um, and he is very impressed and very thankful for Ruth. So, because of Ruth's kindness to Naomi, Boaz pours on the blessing. Gives her bread and wine and roasted grain. and gets, She gets enough to fill her up and to take some home to Naomi. And then before she goes, he's like, here, carry 30 pounds of barley back to Naomi as well. And just overwhelmed with this kindness. And Naomi, the bitter one, is ecstatic when Ruth returns with all this food. And she's even more elated when she finds out that all this comes from a man named Boaz, who happens to be a relative. Well, Ruth continues to glean week after week after week until the end of barley harvest and then until the end of wheat harvest and she continued to live with her mother-in-law and that's the end of chapter two. We think, is that it? Is that the end of the story? Well, no, there's more on our page. What, what's going on here? Like, it, it almost, it seems like, like a conclusion. Like, and then they live together. Okay. They got their food from Boaz. Is that, is that all that there is? They just, now they just live happily ever after? I, you know, I, I don't know. What, what's going on here? Well, now we get into chapter 3. Now, I want to point out to you, there are some similarities between chapter 2 and chapter 3. The structure of the two chapters are, are, are very similar. There's this home scene where there's a plan or a scheme set up. And then in the middle, big portion of the chapter, of each chapter, there's a field scene where you have Ruth and Boaz interacting together. And then in both chapters, two and three, and then in both chapters, there's this home scene again with Ruth and Naomi. They're, they're meant to be seen together, seen side by side together. And chapter three is actually going to be a build on. It's going to build on the themes of chapter two and intensify a little bit and even um, give us a little bit of tension. Chapters 1 and 4 are going to be similar as well. We'll come back to that next week. But as you think about it and prepare, uh, maybe you'll notice those similarities. So chapters 1 and 4 are similar, and chapters 2 and 3 are similar as well. Well, here we are at the love and romance section of the story, so we would think. This next section of the story is um, full of much tension. Hopefully you will feel that tension tonight as I speak. The tension and potential awkwardness that you will feel tonight as I teach is so that you will feel the tension that comes from the text. Okay? There's three parts to this. Like I said a minute ago, you have Naomi's plan, Naomi's scheme, and then you have Ruth and Boaz meeting again, and then... Ruth reports to Naomi when she goes back home. Let's take a look at Naomi's plan, verses 1 through 5. Um, 
Look at verse 1 with me. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Okay, pause there. Um, And as you can see, Naomi starts to take lead in this section. And she starts to feel a little bit obligated as her mother-in-law. It's interesting that it's it's mentioned there, mother-in-law. And then she calls her, her daughter, She has this obligation to find Ruth a husband. Look at verse 2. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women um, you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Naomi has an idea. Boaz is one of our relatives. So you need to understand that when a married man uh, dies and leaves his wife as a widow... Someone in the family will usually step in and marry her and take her under his wing. Referred to sometimes as the kinsman redeemer. He's going to step in. So you see this in the Gospels as well. You remember when Jesus was asked, uh, you know, this kind of a trick question. So when a, a man is married to a woman and that man dies and goes to heaven and then the brother marries the woman and that man dies and goes to heaven, then another brother marries the woman and that man, who gets to be married to her in heaven? Like this little trick question. And Jesus is like, well, there's no marriage or given in marriage in heaven. Oh, okay. So like you see that, that same kind of concept is at play here where you see um, uh, uh, a, a near kinsman, a near family member would need to step in and redeem or rescue this difficult situation with this widow. Is Boaz the one? Naomi seems to think he might be. He might be able to step in and redeem. So Naomi plots. She says in verse 2, See, or behold, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So feel that a little bit. Behold, Boaz is going to be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Look, I have a really good idea is what she's saying. Look, behold, he's going to be up there, so let's go up there. Verse 3, she says, Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So wash up, change your clothes, go down there. Now, she's probably still in clothes of mourning um, because of the loss of her husband. So in mourning attire, not mourning as in the time of day, like mourning as in sadness, you got that? A little tricky in the English language, I suppose. Um, in clothes of mourning, but now she's going to change her clothes signaling to men, and particularly to Boaz, that she's available. She says, prepare yourself, um, prepare yourself well so that you would be attractive to Boaz and to break down any resistance that there might be there between you and him. And she says, don't make yourself known to him until he's finished eating and drinking. In other words, wait until he's really ready to go to sleep. He's, been, he's going to be have, have been working all day and probably, I mean, obviously into the evening, the nighttime. And he's going to have a meal and probably some wine. He's going to be tired and ready to sleep. The idea is that that's going to be a good time to connect. Maybe 
maybe Boaz won't be thinking straight. Is the thoughts that we have, was this what's going on? Um, and verse 4 of Naomi's plan might be more likely to come about. Look at verse 4. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So, watch where he lies down. Then she uses this phrase, uncover his feet and lie down. Sounds a little bit weird to us. Like, take off his shoes? Like, what do we mean, like, uncover his feet? Well, sounds a little bit weird to us, but it's actually an idiom for a sexual encounter used often. Like, we might use the phrase, sleep with him. Okay? The literal meaning isn't actually sexual. But we know what's going on there. See what I'm saying? So, verse 5. So, I mean, we're thinking, like, what is going on in this story? Verse 5, and she replied, all that you say I will do. Do you feel the tension in the room? Do you feel the tension that's happening? Really? Like, Naomi, is, is she really asking what I think she's asking? We have our two virtuous, high-character individuals in this story, Ruth and Boaz, and they're potentially going to be put into a compromising situation. What's going to happen? What, what are these two people going to do when they meet together in the middle of the night and you have this sexual innuendo happening? And I'm thinking, Naomi, what are you, what are you doing like, I see what you're trying to do with the redemption and the family and trying to keep the family line. I see what you're trying to do, but it doesn't sound like you're trying to stay within the will of the Lord in this. What you seem to be suggesting, Naomi, is not the Lord's way. So we ought to be like on the edge of our seat thinking, what is, what is going to happen? Are, are the good guys going to turn bad guys? Remember, Ruth is a Moabite. I mean, does she even know the way of the Lord on matters like this? We're reminded often in chapter 2 about her foreign status. Boaz is a man in a culture where men are doing terrible things in the times of the judges. The judges go from bad to worse. And then you have chapters after that about how bad it really was, including Women being raped. Women being raped and then cut into 12 pieces and sent to the 12 tribes. This is, this, is a, this is a terrible time. And here's a man in this culture, Boaz. What is he going to do? Is, is he really the, the worthy man that we saw in chapter 2? The high character man we saw in chapter 2? What's going on with Ruth? Well, the meeting's about to happen. Second part of this from verses 6 to 15, Ruth and Boaz meet again after much time. And here you're going to see rapid narrative movement that's going to push the story forward quickly. So listen as I read from uh, starting in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. 
And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. What, what's going on here? What is happening? Where's, where is she laying exactly? Did she sin or did she do what's right? Did she uncover his feet, literally or figuratively? Verse 9. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Again, you see sexual language, but she means wings as in a place to find refuge. That same terminology is used in chapter 2, verse 12. So look across the page to chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord repays, this is Boaz speaking to Ruth um, in the field as, they, um, as he pours out this blessing upon her. The Lord repay you for what you have done and full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to find refuge. And then here in chapter 3, verse 9, she's asking him to spread his wings so that he would, she would find refuge in him as God's servant. She's asking Boaz to be a redeemer for her family. Be the redeemer. Verse 10, and Boaz said, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So here you see Boaz, Boaz's integrity. He didn't drink too much. He, wasn't, he was still able to think very clearly He doesn't act sexually with her. He loves the Lord and he loves her. He notices her kindness, her loving kindness. That same word that we've seen a couple of times in the text, hesed. And that's why he loves her and that's why he wants to protect her. This is is just the latest kindness that he knows about. His former kindness was her staying with Naomi. Remember in chapter two, he's impressed with her kindness because she stayed with Naomi. When Naomi said, no, go back to your people, and Naomi came back, and Ruth stayed with her to be a channel of God's blessing to Naomi. Let's pause. If you're in a dating relationship and the person you're with is asking you to disobey God or to disobey parents, which is disobeying God. Or is even just okay with you disobeying God, whether it's sexually or deceptive or both. Let me tell you, he's not protecting you. He's not for you. He's for himself. He's a selfish little boy that needs to grow up 
and repent of his sin. I've seen this far too often. One time is far too often. Lack of leadership and protection from a guy. Boaz has a real loving care for Ruth and even for Naomi. Real love. The, The romance side of the relationship is not for now. He knows that romance is meant to lead somewhere, and that somewhere is for marriage. So if marriage isn't in the picture, don't go down that road. The kindness that he notices in Ruth is this. She's doing, uh, she is doing the best thing for Naomi. You see that? You see that in, in verse 10? She could have gone after the younger men, whether they're rich or poor or whatever, the younger men, but going to a kinsman redeemer for Naomi's sake is what she decides to do. And Boaz is impressed. And look at verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Do you see that protection? I I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Remember that word from chapter 2, verse 1, about Boaz? Is he a worthy man? It says in chapter 2, verse 1, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, my God is king, and his name is Boaz. That word, remember we talked about that word last week. Is that word, what do we mean by worthy? Is he worthy because he's wealthy or because he's famous or popular? What, what do you mean by a worthy man? Is it worthy because he's moral What's going on here? And we find out that it's, he's a worthy man because he's a Yahweh fearer. He's a God follower. And that is what is in the picture here in chapter 3, verse 11, when speaking of Ruth. Also in the picture, so in the Hebrew scriptures, do you know where the book of Ruth is located? It's not located after the book of Judges. Does anybody know what book it follows in the Hebrew scriptures? Proverbs. Very good. Proverbs. Remember the last chapter in Proverbs? The Proverbs 31 woman? That same word is used of her. A worthy woman. Direct connection to the end of Proverbs and to hear Ruth as the worthy, godly, Yahweh fear. And it's interesting, she's a worthy woman and everybody knows it. Everybody knows who she is. Um, Look at verse 12. And now, it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, Then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Okay, so that word redeem is used like 27 times in that one verse. I think my count is correct. A lot of times. I mean, what's in the picture here? Redeeming is in the picture. And what comes out? What comes out is Boaz's character. We see more about this man, Boaz, as he speaks. He could have taken Ruth then. 
And probably the culture at the time would have been okay with it. But he knows there's actually a redeemer that's nearer than he is. There's another man before him that ought to take on the responsibility of Ruth and Naomi. And Boaz is just being honest about it. He says, I need to do what's right. So I need to talk to this guy. And if he wants to redeem you, if he wants to marry you, good. Let him do it. So I'm going to ask him about this. I'm going to ask him about it first thing in the morning. A sense of urgency there, isn't there? Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. Again, you see that she is literally lays at his feet. This, this reiteration of their integrity throughout this. And he said, in the middle of verse 14, he said, let it not be known that the woman um, came to the, fr- the threshing floor. Again, another example of his protection of how people might perceive the situation. He's making sure that, that no one sees that she was there. Verse 15, and he said, bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her and then she went into the city. I mean, again, Boaz just pours on the kindness and generosity. Such a giving and kind man. Why is he doing this? Well, we're going to see it here in a minute. These last three verses are Ruth as she returns to Naomi. Look at verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. So, Naomi's like, so what happened? Married, not married? What's, What's the deal? And she tells her all that Boaz had done for her. And this is how she tells it. Look at verse 17. These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. It's significant that this is how Ruth reports to Naomi with the speech there. You see, you see Boaz's intention. This is for Naomi and Ruth. He has no specific ulterior motives here. Verse 18, she replied, Naomi does, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. (laughs) Well, how's this all going to turn out? Chapter 4 is next week. We celebrate together. A couple points of additional application as we close tonight. Number one, be a person of integrity. Like Boaz and Ruth. Can you be trusted? Will, will you do what's right even when everyone around you is saying to do wrong, whether they're actually saying it or not? Maybe at work when the numbers can be fudged in our favor or when everyone is lying in order to make sales or being dishonest about performance. I know I've had a friend in, um, in a furniture store like 
being told to be dishonest to make sales. He's like, I can't do that. Or another friend who worked at a car dealership as well, same kind of thing. And they both had to quit their jobs. One, because he wouldn't do that. And another, because he wasn't making enough money without lying. When your friends at work are making, a, making light of sexual sin, you tempted to join in? Do you really believe that sin is devastating? It's not okay. Sin is not God's will for anyone. Sin should sadden me because that sin is against my God. When I was a teen, I was in a dating relationship and um, um, my Christian friends would set up a scenario for me to be alone with a girl. And there was expectations there. Now, fortunately, there was never expectations for a sexual encounter, but there were expectations, sinful expectations. And I've dealt with teens in our church, two teens, particular, our church with the exact same story. Christian friends asking Christians to sin. How will we respond? Parents, don't be naive. Be a person of integrity, even maybe especially in this highly sexualized culture in which we live. I had a friend, we had just heard about uh, another person, highly respected man in ministry, fall to sexual sin. And me and my friend just looked at each other like, how? How do we make sure we're not that? It doesn't happen. And his response was twofold. Pursue your wife. And he said, it's all about the little things. What, What do we let in? What do we let in as we watch TV? What do we laugh about when we watch movies or enjoy social media. We need to hate sexual sin like God hates sexual sin. We don't put up with even a little bit of it. I've heard one person say, you can watch, watch those movies as long as you watch them with discernment. And his response was, yeah, if you watch it with discernment, you'll hate it because of all the sin. Be a person of integrity. Number two, live for the Lord. We look at this story and we can be tempted to think that having a husband, maybe we've been tempted to think that already, having a husband will make Ruth's life. It won't. It actually won't satisfy. It won't satisfy ultimately. It won't satisfy her. And she knows this. We, we can be tempted to read the story through the lens of a modern romance movie and think that once someone is married or falls in love, if you will, then they're all set. Total bliss total satisfaction, and they lived happily ever after. But it's not true. Modern love songs can teach us this same thing that's anti-God. It's not how God has set things up. It's not true. I heard a pastor say this once, and I've said this to the teens a, a number of times. I don't make 
Abby's life, my wife. Christ does. And man, am I thankful for that. If it was on me, her God with a little g would fail her over and over, but she trusts the Lord. Christ makes her life. Christ makes my life. Ruth and Boaz live for the Lord first, and it's obvious. It's seen in Ruth's integrity at night at the feet of Boaz. It's seen in Boaz when he wakes up to a woman at his feet in the middle of the night. It's seen in Boaz when he knows of a nearer kinsman redeemer, just to name a few. They live for the Lord. They love God first, and they love neighbor second. Love him even more than your favorite neighbor. Your husband or wife, your children. Live for the Lord. Live for Christ. Number three, know that Christ is our righteousness. We look at stories like this with people of high character, and we look at our own life, and we see how we fall short. How we need a rescuer. Some of us have messed up seriously in these areas, but the Lord is kind. And his stands, he stands ready to forgive. Praise the Lord that he sent someone who would fulfill the law in complete righteousness so that when we place our faith in him and repent of our sins, he forgive us, forgives us and we get his righteousness. It's not ours. If the law was a means to salvation, we would all fall short. Thankfully, we have a savior. And he died for our sins. And he's given us his righteousness. Our teens would remember that from this morning in Galatians chapter 2. Lastly, worship the Redeemer. Again, we don't have to guess who will redeem us. We don't have to hold out another night to find who would redeem us. Who will show us kindness that we don't deserve. Christ has done this. Christ is our redeemer, our rescuer. We were much worse off than a widow. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but Christ came to rescue us from the dead. Worship him, worship him, worship our redeemer. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the righteousness that is imputed to believers. As we place our faith and trust in our Savior, our Lord, our sins are forgiven and we get the righteousness of Christ. Thank you that our relationship with you is not built upon our own righteousness, our own faithfulness, but upon your faithfulness in your righteousness. Lord, may we be worshipers of our Redeemer. Lord, help us to be people of integrity. To be people who 
say what we mean and mean what we say. To be people who will not put up with sin in our lives or in the lives of those whom we pursue. May we live our lives for the Lord, not firstly for relationships, not firstly for fun, not firstly for entertainment, but firstly for our great God. So may we be followers of you with our entire life. Lord, without your help, grace, and strength, this is impossible. So work this in us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.